everyone. I'm Esther Pan Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 2 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we are focusing on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. Today, we're very happy to be speaking with the Reverend Marvin Owens, Chief Engagement Officer of Impact Shares, a nonprofit fund manager that helps social organizations translate their priorities into exchange-traded funds, stock products that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange. UNCDF partnered with Impact Shares to create one of these vehicles, SDGA, to benefit the least developed countries. But the first such product that Impact Shares released was NACP, created with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, one of the oldest and most important civil rights groups in America. Marvin was the Senior Director for Economic Programs at the NAACP before joining Impact Shares in late 2020. Marvin, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you, Esther. Great to be here. Please tell our audience about yourself. What led you to Impact Shares? Um, After having worked in uh, national civil rights organizations to really develop what I considered innovative sort of strategies toward Uh, social change and uh, closing wealth gaps for African-Americans and people of color, I really was interested in pursuing what was, I thought, the most innovative thing we had done in many years, which was the Impact Shares Partnership and the development of uh, NACP. And so um, I got the opportunity to really um, take this uh, strategy and build it out. And so uh, talk to Ethan, talk to the team at Impact Shares, and it felt like a real good fit to continue the work, um, bringing my advocacy experience to a, a bunch of folks who were financial services people for the most part. Um, I thought I could really add value to the Impact Shares team, and um, we all agree. So I'm excited to be with Impact Shares now. And give us a peek into kind of how the NAACP was thinking about this, because I know at UNCDF it was a very sometimes difficult conversation in the United Nations to think about doing a stock fund. I'm sure for the NAACP, there were some difficult conversations as well to go into this type of partnership and this type of vehicle. Uh, So please tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a big deal because um, for the most part, the the reaction was, this is really not what we do. Um, This is not really in our framework of expertise. And so there was the natural resistance to it. However, uh, when we framed this around it being really the next sort of iteration of what was a corporate engagement strategy that began more than 20 years ago. The whole idea behind this, this strategy really was based on what the NAACP had been doing in terms of corporate scorecards and the work of gathering data from corporations around diversity, uh, C-suite diversity, um, hiring and firing practices within corporations and how those uh, practices impacted people of color and then been, then publishing that data in a scorecard uh, has been a part of the corporate engagement strategy for the NAACP for a long time. So we saw the, the, um, the NACP uh, fund as the next sort of um, evolution of that strategy. So it was really um, after we kind of understood it and thought about what it really was, um, there was a lot of interest and engagement in terms of going forward. But initially, yeah, it was it was never it was not an easy thing. The other issue really was you had the the concern about a nonprofit that was that may or may not be involved in, quote unquote, marketing a security. 
So we wanted to make sure we steered clear of any of that. Um, we just did not want to, to in, in any way, uh, negatively impact our ability to be true advocates. And so, um, but I think it was a, it was really ex a lot of excitement once we ex understood it and uh, it was explained. Um, and now it be has become a really important part of the strategy for corporate engagement for the NAACP. And what does NACP give you in terms of corporate engagement tools that you didn't have from just the scorecard or other efforts that you had had before? Sure. I think what we were, I mean, quite frankly, is the power of a capital market. I mean, really is capital markets being able to, to use um, the power and influence to be able to create social change. And I think what we were doing at the NAACP at the time was really based in our position as an, as an advocate um, and really kind of calling into accountability certain business practices. And it really kind of was an outside game where we would be sort of, it was sort of the threat of, of um, the NAACP raising its voice against a particular corporation or the threat possibility of the NAACP taking some kind of action that really brought people to the table. Now, I think it really is um, provided the NAACP with another kind of strategy, which is the capital markets are now sort of pushing for these kinds of changes. Uh, it's, it's, it's investor, the investors who are now demanding that corporations do the right thing and are good corporate citizens and are committed to equity and diversity. Um, so it's a, it's a move that the markets are making that also is impacting what these corporations are doing. So now you have the advocacy organizations along with the investors kind of pushing in the same direction. I, I think it makes a really significant impact on how corporations react and respond. And in the case of the NACP fund and, and all the funds, quite frankly, that Impact Shares has, including SDGA, um, there is there is net now proof of concept that that investors do not have to give up market returns uh, in order to make a, a social impact, and that's really an important point to be made from, from what we've been doing. And I know that for the UN, for the UN CDF, when we were making this decision, it was very important that Impact Shares was a nonprofit fund manager Absolutely. and not a big bank or some other kind of Wall Street fund. Tell us why it's important, especially in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of the uh, social justice protests we saw over the summer, that the NAACP created the screens on the NACP fund and also benefits from the exchange traded fund. I think it was important that um, we had another tool in order to engage corporations. What happened after George Floyd's killing was there was an, a, an outpouring of, of, of support around fighting racial discrimination and fighting um, and, and standing against uh, 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 racial discrimination wherever it was found. So corporations really got very, very vocal and went to make you know, very public statements about it and even decided to, to make contributions to nonprofits. And they did. I mean, several of the civil rights organizations saw a real influx of support um, last summer. Um, but beyond the sort of statements, beyond the actual support, philanthropic gifts, um, there needed to be change. And I think the, the presence of the ETF allowed us to be able to engage corporations in a really objective view, really, of what was going on. Because, you know, our, our, uh, I know SDGA, uh, uh, if you use, I don't know if you use Sustainalytics or not, or um, uh, 
or Equa, Equaleap. But I think the, 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 the idea of having a third party um, data look at corporations and their activities and actions allowed us to be able to take a posi position and say, here's the data. It's not just subjective. It's not just what we think, but here's what we found. And let's now talk about what's going on here, because the reality was that we were we, we were kind of cornered, if you will, in this sort of space where you're just a civil rights organization, you're just an advocacy organization, you really don't understand business. Now we have the investor community saying, here's what's important to us. And it happens to align with the values of the NAACP and the other advocacy organizations. Now the argument becomes so much more powerful and the, the incentive to change uh, becomes even greater for corporations. And one thing we want our listeners to know is that the fact that Impact Shares is a nonprofit fund manager means that any management fee earned on any of these funds goes to the organization itself, the social organization, to support its work. So someone who buys the NAACP stock fund is supporting the NAACP's advocacy work and social justice work. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, that's that's a, a incredibly important point. It really uh, it really is a very, very different approach. And and I think it's exciting because now investors have an opportunity to align their their capital with the causes they care about. And they are actually supporting the work that they really believe in. Um, and that's why I'm excited about this being being with Impact Shoes, because we really are creating a platform for engagement that's really unique. Um, and I think it's groundbreaking. I think it's going to be uh, a model that others will will follow. Um, uh, when I talk about the work that I do in terms of being uh, working with uh, impact shares in this sort of fund manager kind of um, space, um, most of my friends and colleagues wonder, okay, what have you have you sort of uh, gone to the dark side? Have you have you are you now part of the others the other folks who who are who are just the the, the capitalists who care nothing about people? Um, and I'm I'm always happy to say um, I believe that we're we're putting we're making capitalism care, making capitalism um, promote causes and support causes that change changes people's lives. And um, and so I think it's a really important thing to kind of underscore that yes, we are a nonprofit, um, and we want to make sure that those um, those net advisory fees go back to support um, our advocacy organizations. This is an argument I have heard quite a lot at the United Nations as well from poor countries and countries that have had bad experiences with very rapacious style capitalist type businesses. There's also quite a critique about business and finance and these sectors that are seen to only be looking uh, to make a profit. But one thing we also realized very quickly at the United Nations is that without funds, you can't achieve any of your goals. Right. And so this structure was very appealing to us at UNCBF because you're going towards where the money is, right? right? Where money is invested and offering an alternative to say, if you don't like the way capitalism is structured now and the things that it values over other issues or themes, you can change that. That's right. right. You can change the allocation of your pension fund or your personal investment funds to exactly, as you say, represent your values, which is very refreshing. So we know, of course, at the United Nations, the power of indicators. And one of the things that our uh, audience may not know is that each social organization that's involved with a fund with impact shares creates its own screen, which essentially means they choose the indicators that uh, decide if a company is in or out of the stock fund. And I know on NACP, you've had very creative indicators and mm -hmm. also you change them frequently. 
tell us about that and also maybe choose one or two that you have found to be most relevant in the context of the discussions we've been having, you know, in the United States and around the world this past summer about social justice. Yeah, it's it's uh, we began the process with basically uh, taking a look at our scorecard model. So the scorecard model included board diversity, supplier diversity, um, um, uh, freedom of association policies, um, social supplier standards. I mean, kind of really basic kinds of indicators. But after last year and all the experiences of last year, we began to really refine um, our indicators. So we began to look at companies that that uh, were profiting from the production of riot gear or companies that were profiting from predatory lending um, or companies um, that were uh, involved in what we call, we would consider questionable media ethics where um, in some of the sort of social media platforms where hate speech was being, um, was so prevalent and was unchecked. And so we began to add indicators that really reflected what was happening last year. And we came up with a, a, a you know, what I consider a stronger group of, of, of indicators. And I think that for, for us was an, an activity that really we were listening to our advocacy partners because many of those, these new indicators came as a, as a result of the leadership of the NAACP meeting with corporate CEOs and uh, corporate leaders and expressing their concerns about what was happening and not happening. And so I think it really was, um, a really great exercise where you had the advocacy partners and the and the um, and the fund manager being impact shares working together to create something that really was reflective of the mission of the NAACP. So I think it was a it was a really good thing to do. I also think that early on we did not take a close enough look at the intersection of ESG meaning that our focus is really on racial diversity and equity, uh, but we began to sort of take a look at how we can really enhance our indicators with carbon risk uh, information, um, fossil fuel involvement, um, understanding that these environmental issues also dovetail with racial equity issues. And we really needed to take a look at how they continued to do that. Uh, We also added gender pay equity because of the the gap, not just between women and men, but between black women um, and and the rest of of the workforce is also something that we we wanted to take a look at. So there's a lot, lots of ways in which these sort of sort of refining of these indicators is reflective of sort of the broadening and the intersection, quite honestly, of all the funds, quite uh, quite frankly, which I think is exciting. I think it's something that is, is, is important that we are reflective in a lot of ways of our partner um, funds. Um, and it's not just these siloed kind of approaches to this effort, but really is integration of, of all of them. Absolutely. We've talked in the past about the commonalities of minority and underserved communities in America having difficulties accessing finance, for example, to get a mortgage or start a business. And the parallels with poor countries having the same types of difficulties accessing finance. So absolutely, we're seeing the intersection of all of these issues at the time. So I think one of these, you know, this is a really fascinating topic to say what's qualitatively different about having an NAACP fund versus a fund from a bank that purports to support racial equity. And I think, you know, this this discussion that you're talking about, that the indicators come rooted in your work, in your policy and advocacy and social justice work, and in discussion with CEOs and members of the business community, 
is quite crucial because I do think that there has been a proliferation of financial products in the market. And many of them do things like count the number of women in management. Many people are right. there you have in management. That's the right. Indicators are so much more thoughtful and they're so much more grounded in, you know, a really holistic view of what does it mean to bring up a community? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And I think it's been, um, uh, and, and if you can even jump to, into this year in terms of what recently happened on, on Capitol Hill on January 6th, um, there's a there's even more conversation about how we've become um, reflective of even corporate support for anti-democratic efforts, um, which I think is also crucial. It's just really important that um, that folks get the fact that these funds are really set up to support the work. Um, um, when the fees that are being generated by this fund are not going to buy a fund manager, uh, you know, a fancy car, it really is um, going to really support the ongoing on the ground work of these advocacy organizations. And because of that, uh, and I like to have the way Ethan often puts it, um, the, the founder of Impact Shares, that you're getting both, um, you're getting the social alpha and financial beta, that you're getting this, this um, um, basically a, a, a actively, a actively managed social outcome which is really exciting. And the banks are, gonna, are not providing that. They're, they're not giving you that actively managed social outcome. Um, you're generating fees and the fees are going to pay someone, someone really, really well. The idea behind this, these funds are really all about how do you really support the work that really results in change. And I think especially this younger generation, you know, millennials and the young people that we've seen really turning out for voter registration drives and really, you know, pushing for change in the United States. That's what we're hearing from a lot of these young people is they're saying, how do I make decisions with my money, both in consumption and investment and in terms of who I work for, that reflects my priorities for the world. And we're seeing them come with a really different approach than prior generations. You know, my parents would have said, like, take a job, you know, you need a paycheck, doesn't matter what the company stands for. But I think kids today are really taking a much different approach to it. Yeah, and they, I think and I think they're driving uh, investor sentiment in a very very significant way. Um, I think there there are there are there there are there's a real push to make sure that all that we're doing is really about about really aligning um, with our vision for a different world and how do we really uh, contribute to that process. Um, and I and I go back to even how I got to this place in terms of my own um, particular framework around uh, being uh, an ordained minister and in, in, in a divinity school graduate. Um, this idea that you can really utilize all of these tools to really impact positively people's lives is the thing that always drives me. And I think that um, that the younger audiences are beginning to understand that no matter what they're doing, they really want to make sure they're having a, a, a social impact. Um, so whether it's their job, whether it is their, their, their hobbies or all that they're involved in. So now we have an opportunity to provide them an opportunity to kind of use their capital, use their investment dollars to, to do the same. So it's really a, an exciting opportunity to provide them. And I think it's a, a, an opportunity for everyone, quite honestly, to, to do the same. And this is something that is very unusual about your background. So you are a working pastor at Michigan Park Christian Church in Washington, D.C., and your Harvard master's degree was in practical theology. 
What does that mean? And what is the combination of your pastoring bring to your work with impact shares? Sure. Um, well, first of all, it's always been, you know, I think I was one of those, um, the first groups, uh, group of um, divinity school graduates that were, where Harvard was really requiring uh, divinity school students to take classes across the university. So I took classes at the business school. I was able to take classes in other parts of the university in order to kind of really expand my, 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 my vision, quite honestly, for what, what I was being called to do. Um, and so this idea of practical theology is kind of in alignment with that idea that you really are taking theological concepts and really uh, making them practical, making them relevant. How do they get lived out and how do that, how they get sort of created in public policy or, 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 or economic activity or, or, or community change. And so I was excited about the fact that I was able to now take this education and be able to kind of get out into the world and, in a, and not just pastor a church, but also be engaged um, and right out of seminary, I became the executive director of a, a local nonprofit that was doing um, low-income housing development. So as a divinity school student, I was learning how to do tax credit financing and learning what low-income housing tax credits were all about and historic tax credits and how to, how to, how to layer financing to build affordable housing uh, in, in communities that where it was, it was really lacking. So I saw it really as an extension of my ministry. This is what I felt God was calling me to do, to be actively engaged in my community uh, in, in these broad ways. And so um, my, my pulpit was always the whole community. It wasn't just my church, but it was kind of the, the places where I was committed to working. And so when it came time to work for the um, uh, National Urban League or the NAACP and these sort of national positions, um, it just gave me a broader platform to be able to do more and impact a broader a broader space. And I really enjoyed it um, to be able to see lives changed, community, you know, one community at a time, um, and to be a part of that process of, of empowering people, resourcing that kind of change um, was really, really important to me. And it still is. It still is. So um, that's that's sort of the connection that I, I, I maintain. There's always a tension that you got to get back on Sunday morning to be able to preach a, a, a relevant uh, sermon. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and I still enjoy teaching Bible studies and, 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 and serving as a pastor because um, that sort of day-to-day -day interaction with people uh, reminds me of why this work is so important. Um, you don't ever get caught up in the policy stuff so hot, so high that you forget what's really happening to, to people every single day. And it's really addressing the full needs of the person, right? Spiritual needs Absolutely. as well as very pragmatic needs and Absolutely. financial and, and well-being. So the African-American church has historically been a tremendous force for racial and social justice in the United States. Why is that, do you think? Why is there such a strong connection between the two? Because historically, the African-American church was that one institution, institution that was led and controlled and funded by African-Americans. Uh, it was uh, the power center from, from, for many of our communities for, for a very, very long time. Um, think about it this way. Um, uh, a person who, was, who had a sort of uh, labor job, or I should say uh, a, sort of, uh, uh, a job where you worked with your hands every single day, um, was able to to, to become a deacon or a trustee in their local church. They got some sense of other, 
uh, responsibility and accountability of the African-American church because of the fact that it's funded by African-American, the African-American community. So able to build institutions and uh, colleges and universities and all kinds of institutions were built out of the black church. It also became, it was the center of the conversations around fighting racial discrimination. Um, the Most of the civil rights leadership came out of that black church tradition of, of, of leadership and, and, and still does. And, and so even now you have uh, the most recent sort of um, um, evidence of that in the election of Senator, Senator Raphael Warnock, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, happens to know him really well, good friend of mine. Um, and so he continues this tradition of becoming, of, of taking this sort of black church experience and grounding and, and being able to function in a in a, a space like the U.S. Senate uh, or other political kinds of uh, uh, spaces, that is a, a continuation of this tradition that you're the pastor, but you're also um, a spokesperson, the person who articulates a vision for a different world. And here's why it's important, not just the policies, but here are why, why the policies are so important that we pursue them. And, you know, kind of in world movements for social change and justice, we've seen that faith communities have been very strong pillars of opposition. So Lutherans against the Nazis or Jews against apartheid in South Africa. But we've also seen in the United States that faith communities have been very supportive of policies that achieve the opposite of social and Mm -hmm. racial justice. So Mm -hmm. how does that reconcile? Because those are both communities. They're both citing God as their inspiration. And yet what they seek is so different. Yeah. And I think I think that's a that is a tension that we that we've had for 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 forever. I think there are people who are who are, uh, for whatever reason, really super committed to to maintaining the status quo. Um, um, And also the fact that there have been moments where um, religious organizations have have been allowed to have access to political power, and they've been able to to really utilize that political power really to maintain their sense of who they are. Um, and you know, I have a lot to say about what what I feel about that on a personal level, um, because I think that power, if it's not utilized for the good of people, for for uplifting people, for changing people's living conditions, for providing for folks um, the idea of the the poor, the neglected, the imprisoned, the 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 widow, the I mean this this is very scriptural for me in terms of how we ought to be looking at this. And I know there are others who may who may have a different viewpoint on it. But I think um, I have been excited about the fact that because I happen to be in this sort of public sphere and 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 space to be able to engage those who think differently uh, and challenge it. Quite frankly, um, so that um, that people who are not part of the sort of broader religious community can understand that we are not monolithic, uh, that that there are differences of opinion and, and diversity of understanding of, of what the what we ought to be doing. Um, but I will never um, um, sort of take down this notion of you have to be about what helps people overall. And I think the reality is that um, that the policies we've seen. Um, in the last in the last four years, at least, um, have not been about helping people at all. It really hasn't been about how do you maintain power and control. Absolutely, I think it's wonderful to have somebody like you in this discussion because I think when people who are not part of a faith community see the action of some people who call themselves people of faith, 
they say, wow, I mean, it really discredits religion. That's right. That's right. That's right. So it's hard to reconcile that with, you know, Jesus reaching out to the poor and the the lepers and the prostitutes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Different kind of focus. That's right. Okay. So now let's come back to the fund. Sure. So the funds are structured. I mean, one of the things that, that we've been talking about, you know, is building the community, making people's lives better. And I imagine that one of the goals of the fund is to build more financial security for minority communities, right? That in being invested in the stock market, which many people in, in the United States still are not, people who traditionally have not had access to some of the benefits of capitalism and the growth of the stock market can achieve some of those benefits. Mm. So, but the fund is structured to track certain indexes. So ours, the SDGA tracks an emerging market index. I imagine for NACP, you guys track kind of a, maybe a large cap or- Large cap, large cap blend. Mm -hmm. So you have a large cap blend. Facebook is an enormously valuable stock. And -hmm. yet your indicator on hate speech maybe cuts out Facebook. So how does that then, how does the principle marry then with the pragmatic nature of the fact that the fund must track the performance of the overall U.S. market. Mm-hmm. These tech companies are an enormous percent of that market, and yet they don't meet the standards of your indicators. Right. And so what we've been able to do is really um, uh, you know, use this sort of strategy of um, mission first. And so in the case of, I mean, Facebook's a perfect example because Facebook was excluded from our fund um, after um, all that was happening last year after um, uh, uh, civil rights leaders sat down with the CEO and, and kind of raised their concerns and, and the reaction that, that they got was it just wasn't uh, satisfactory in terms of taking some, some, some real action about change and hate speech and what was happening. So they were, they were excluded from the fund um, based on the fact that this is, the, this is just the reality um, that we're facing. So we were willing to do that because we were able to understand how we could sort of um, restructure uh, the balance in the fund to ensure the fact that we that we were still tracking uh, the, that index. Um, so even though Facebook was a was a, is a very very you know large part of it, we were able to kind of find a way to to, to rebalance it so that we we didn't lose momentum in terms of the returns. Um, the goal has always been. Um, not just the return, but it has to be the mission. It has to be um, the purpose behind what we're doing or else we lose our credibility. And so um, I'm, I'm thankful for the partnership with Morningstar and, and, and the folks there because they've been really able to work with us. Another example was we had fossil fuel companies that were part of the, the fund early on. And so we were able to sort of swap out those, those fossil fuel companies with green energy. Um, companies, and we're able to kind of keep the balance uh, uh, pretty much where it was. That's the kind of sort of innovative approach that says you, you can make this work. You don't have to lose in order to to really uh, make a, a, a statement and impact um, with your investments. So I, I thought, I mean, I appreciate the question because it really was a tension that some of us were feeling. Like, okay, what do we do? Uh, we have, but we have to make a stand. I mean, that 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 goes without saying, we have to make a stand on what's right. Um, even if it means we have to now look at how, we are, how we're structured internally. I find that so encouraging because really nobody has taken Facebook to account yet. 
right? right. The government doesn't regulate it. You know, they've been dinged a little bit by European regulators, but so far nobody has been able to say to Facebook, you know, everybody laments it. They're like, oh, really? You own every picture that I ever put on there. And now right. you have the entire data and you own my baby pictures and my wedding pictures and you can sell them to people for money, but they yeah. still use it because everybody yeah. else is on it, right? right. So right. I think the fact that you guys were brave enough to drop them from the index after trying to speak with them, not as a just reflexive cancel culture kind of Response, but after reaching out, after explaining the concerns, after really trying to engage with the company when they didn't meet you halfway, yeah. you were able to drop them and then still make up the performance. And I think yeah. that's very encouraging to kind of average people who think they have to buy it. They have to yeah. buy it. They have to have all these things. Otherwise, they'll, you know, miss out on the gains of the stock market. That's right. Yeah, that's very encouraging indeed. And it also shows that the market is more sophisticated than maybe people think mm-hmm. because there are ways to make up the gains, right? You don't yeah. have to have Facebook and Apple and all those other things as 85% of your portfolio if you're looking for creative. And what I've discovered is that um, the market hasn't been challenged to do this. Um, I think, and I think that's the, that's the power of voices like yours and voices like uh, Dora McWhorter at the, at the YWCA and others. And it, it they need to hear our voices. And I think that the, that markets um, have not been challenged in this way because the most often these voices are sort of part of a, a um, sort, of, sort of external advocacy voice that is really coming from a space that, that's not internal. But now that we have, we're now an actual fund. Um, uh, so now we have actual investors um, it, it, it brings another level of credibility and I would dare say power to the conversation that now forces the conversation within the capital markets to look at this, look at this behavior. Um, and I think, quite frankly, um, that's a real incentive to make sure that we grow because, um, you know, we're not as, as big as we want to be in terms of investments and AUM. Um, and as we grow, I think um, our voices will even get more more profound on these issues. And I think we'll get, we're, we're going to be able to see uh, another level of impact on making the changes that we are all committed to seeing in our, our broader yeah, society. Yeah, and I think it's important to stress that we're not vilifying the financial sector, no. right? It comes from banking. You know, we needed to work with people who know what they're doing. One of the, the big lessons we've learned in the United Nations is that when you are trying to build businesses, you have to have people who know how to build businesses, right? That's a whole other skill set. All of your wonderful intentions are terrific. But if you don't actually know how to build something and keep it running, then it won't lead very far. But I think the model is really revolutionary because you're engaging with companies. It's not a name and shame. It's not an activist campaign from the outside, as you're saying. But you are reaching out to them and saying, let's work together to your status, to get you into the ETF if they have a maybe a negative or one thing that we've run into is that there's just not a lot of data reported on some of the things we want to track. And companies are coming to us and saying, "Okay, what do we need to do? What do you want us to report on? And that's very promising because that's not something we could have asked from them before, before we were essentially owners of their shares. Right. So as you say, it gives a whole different power and it gives a whole different ability to work as partners instead of adversaries. That's right. That's right. And I think it, it also uh, is an opportunity to kind of um, use a sort of a, more of a carrot approach um, that you are really incenting good behavior. Um, um, you're 
incenting change. Um, you know, the lack of transparency that we see around data has really, really has, is a result of, of, of folks feeling like if the data gets out, what's, you know, how it can, how can it be used against us? How can, how can it be used to leverage against us? And what we're, we're now saying to, to companies is that the data helps us to understand where we are, what, what's happening and how we can work together to make, to make changes. Um, I know when I was at the NACP last year, uh, during the, the reaction to George Floyd's killing, there was there were a number of companies that reached out to the NAACP, and and even after the the public pronouncement, even after the sort of uh, philanthropic gift, um, there was a real desire to have a sort of quiet conversation about, hey, we know we're not very good at this, and um, we want to improve, we want to do a better job. What can we do? How can we how can we fix um, um, our supplier diversity? Uh, uh, issues. How can we attract more people of color to C-suite opportunities? How can we uh, invite more uh, diverse candidates for board for board seats? I think. I mean, I think um, there is a quiet conversation that was happening as a result of what happened last summer, and I think the ETF allows us to continue those conversations, continue those engagements, and as we continue those engagements, I am convinced that we will see the changes that we want to see happening. That's so encouraging. So you've been in the civil rights field for a long time, working for social justice and economic justice. Last summer felt different to me. Did it feel different to you? Or did you it feel did. like we've seen this before and, you know? No, this was, this was, this was different. Um, it was out without question a different experience. Um, uh, I think uh, for, for a, a lot of folks, uh, it was almost like the first time they really felt the impact of of, of injustice, and um, having seen it, you know, sort of get played out um, the way it was. I think people really took it to heart, and I think there were even members of the in the financial services world that um, took notice um, and began to ask some hard questions. Um, but they often asked those questions among themselves. Um, and we're kind of un, uncomfortable kind of branching out and to expand the discussion. Um, but I think the presence of uh, impact shares and our funds provided that opportunity for engagement in a different way. And I think um, it, really the, it, re it really is uh, our responsibility to kind of continue that because I think that I'd hate to lose momentum uh, that, that was created um, from all of those very straightforward public pronouncement stand, standing up against racial discrimination, standing up against injustice, uh, and and not there not be some real practical application. Going back to the word practical again, practical uh, application um, that we see some results from. Absolutely. So that leads to the next question: Is what can listeners or investors do if they want to see this kind of change move forward? Come and uh, check us out at uh, impactshares.org. Um, we love to have your engagement uh, and your uh, sort of opportunity to kind of talk about what we do and why we do it. Um, we are always interested in growing AUM. And so we, because in growing AUM, we are, we're generating fees that help to support our advocacy organizations. Um, and so we're very excited to talk to anybody about the mission, the mission of Impact Shares and why it is so important to make sure that your capital is really 
um, moving the needle on the issues that we care about and that you care about. I think that's so, so important. If you really wanna make an uh, imprint on, on social justice, yes, you gotta get involved. Yes, you have to vote. Yes, you have to do the things that we all know we should do. But you also, we also have to make sure that we're using the power of our capital to align with those values. Um, and then we, when we do that, we'll see changes in ways that we've never seen, we've never seen before. So I think I wanna invite everybody to come to impactshares.org, check us out. Then let's have a conversation about what we're doing and why, and we hope you invest. Thank you so much, Marvin. It's been a real pleasure having you with us. Great, thanks, Esther. And thanks also to our audience for tuning in to UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, www.uncdf.org. Take care and stay safe.